Again, it's an honor to be here tonight with you, and an honor to consider, humble to consider uh, this invitation to uh, consider working and serving uh, together with you in the gospel here in Concord, New Hampshire. We're praying. I know you're praying as well. And thank you for your hospitality already. Uh, just some, some dinners at some houses, and also just your kind words, uh, many emails, many uh, messages uh, through Facebook and whatnot. I just want to thank you for your kindness to us, and just uh, your, your love for us as well as your missionaries and where we feel loved uh, by Trinity in, in a deep way. We, we thank you for that. Uh, please open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 13. Thank you as well for praying for my health. Uh, the first time, my, first time in my life I'm taking a medication. And I almost went into depression just realizing that I might have to take a medication for a while. Uh, 44 years old and it, it was a little bit scary to have a pulmonary embolism. Uh, I was uh, working out like a madman at the gym having these weird pains in my back. And I thought maybe I need to work out more. And uh, I actually got relieved from doing weight, some weightlifting. I thought, man, this is kind of helping a little bit. But I didn't know that there was like literally blood clots in my lungs. And uh, I, I told my doctor there, I was like an American doctor, that uh, I that I had some history in my family with this. I realized this like like this was like a month, uh, like like three weeks after I was having these symptoms, and and I said and, and I said it could be my family. And uh, she said go immediately to the hospital right now and get a CT scan with you know with the you know, the dye. And uh, right away that I scared the Chinese doctors. Uh, they they the afterwards they said to me, no, this is a white man's disease. We don't really have a lot of experience with this. Uh, but they gave me the right medication and all that, and I'm fine. So we did have to go to another city in Beijing to kind of get some more, like a second opinion, make sure that since it was a white man's disease, uh, I tried to get some white men there in Beijing to look at me. Uh, but, uh, uh, but my Chinese doctor there, she was incredible. And, uh, but, uh, but God was merciful, and he guarded uh, my life. Uh, we were scheduled to do some flying at that time, go to Brazil, uh, go on a vacation and whatnot, and just canceled everything. We spent Christmas there uh, in China. And but God is sovereign over all those things. Thank you for praying, uh, doing well. I'm you know no breathing issues, running, no issues at all. Just kind of watching it over the next two years, just to make sure there's not another event. But God was merciful to me, and I thank you for your prayers uh, for us, which uh, were so important. Your Bible's tonight in John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, and we will read uh, verses 1 uh, through 17. John chapter 13, of course, this is the uh, upper room discourse, the last supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. A very precious section of scripture, John 13 through 17, uh, where Jesus meets with his disciples. Uh, I love this. Uh, one famous commentator uh, said that John is uh, the, the soul of Jesus. The soul of Jesus. It's uh, precious to uh, kind of get down into John and just experience the presence of Jesus uh, as you read the narrative, as you just meditate upon these words. John chapter 13, we'll start in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, 
And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He then came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't understand now, but after you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to be washed, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was that was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in this short time we have tonight to challenge in the Word, Lord, give us a renewed vision of your love, the love that we see in the life of Jesus. Lord, do this by your work. May these dear people who are here tonight to receive a blessing from your word indeed, may they, may they go from here blessed indeed. Having been in your house, having been together with your people, have mercy upon us tonight, O Lord. Help me as I speak that I might be clear. O Lord, that these people could understand with their heart and rejoice in you. We'll be sure to thank you for all that you'll do. We'll give you glory for all that you'll do. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. A few months ago, I did a study uh, over a period of several weeks in this upper room discourse in John 13 through 17. I first listened to a series of like 12 messages called the Upper Room uh, Lessons from the Upper Room by um, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson. A wonderful series. In that series, he mentions an old book written in the 1800s by Charles Ross, Pastor Charles Ross, entitled "The Inner Sanctuary: An Exposition of John 13 through 17." An incredible book. If you ever want to study John 13 through 17 alone as a section of scripture, I, I just encourage you to, to read this book, short chapters, but very powerful exposition of John 17. It's almost like as he's, as he's communicating, as he's preaching these sermons, you're there with Jesus in the upper room. God really ministered to my soul in this study. And the more I studied John 13 through 17, the more I begin to imagine myself there with Jesus at this moment in the upper room. Maybe it's because I had recently been sick and had some challenges and some life-threatening things going on in my life. But God really ministered to my soul through John 13 through 17 as I went down deep into the scriptures in this area of, of, of John's discourse. The scriptures are precious like this, and you know this. The Holy Spirit begins to minister your heart on, on many different levels as you camp out in like one spot in scripture. 
for a while, not just you know reading through it a couple times, but really go through a series of weeks and go down deep. The longer you tarry there, the sweeter it goes, the sweeter it is, and the more you discover there in, in, in the scriptures. If you've never done this, I would encourage you to try this sometime and in your quiet time. Hide away somewhere with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a cup of hot milk or whatever you do. And get along with Christ and his disciples in John 13 through 17. Meditate here. Try this. Try camping out here sometime in these in this upper room, this last discourse of Jesus. So here in John 13, we encounter this very special supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And understanding, I mean truly understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit what Jesus does here. When he washes his disciples' feet, his explanations, Jesus' explanations about its meaning, and then the prayer he prays here in John 17, the longest prayer in the New Testament, it's the prayer of Jesus. And he prays this for his disciples, and he, and he prays this prayer for you, for that matter. All this, as we try to understand this, is so transformational. Transformational. I want to leave you tonight with some very simple but practical imperatives from Jesus' last teaching. It's 24 hours before his crucifixion and he will take up his cross here the next day. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we're called to face our cross. Maybe for you it's tomorrow morning, Monday morning, starts a new work week. And the rat race begins only about 12 hours from now. We're a little behind Jesus and his cross, 24, but right now we're about 12 hours, right? Is that word correct? Uh, Till tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when the rat race begins. I'm not sure what's ahead of you this week, um, what you're going to face, but you can face it in the power of Christ as you apply these simple teachings of Jesus to your life and to your uh, walk with him. How should you face Monday morning? Four simple mindsets I want to talk about with you about tonight from John 13 that uh, these things that you can put on as you go out of your house tomorrow morning or as you go away from here tonight or you go to, go to work tomorrow morning just four simple things first of all go loved go low go clean and go happy or go blessed we're just going to see these simple things here in the text tonight first of all and pulling rank and all the other mindsets that Jesus shows us here is this one on loved Go loved. As you face tomorrow morning, as you you, you get up and go to work, go loved. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is John's amazing introductory title here for this this description for Jesus' discourse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I don't know about you, but I can just close my eyes, and I've I've done this, in fact, meditated on this phrase over and over and over again in my head. If you can get anything out of this message, let this phrase get into your heart, deep down into your heart. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end here in the Greek text is ace telos, meaning literally that he loved them to perfection. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them with total fullness of love. He loved them with all his heart and the heart of God. And brothers and sisters, here is the simple, the simplicity of the gospel. That even when we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. He died for us. He sees us in all our sin, past, present, and future. And he loves us to the uttermost with total fullness of love. And he loved his own that were in the world and he loved them to the end. We've seen this in Brazil. We see this in China now in the poor slums. 
as the same as it was in the wealthy urban centers where we've worked. There's nothing more heartbreaking than the sight of an unloved child, uncared for by father or mother. The long-term social consequences in societies without love is recognized all over the world, even here in Concord, New Hampshire. Unloved children grow up to be unloved adults. You've seen it as well. It's ugly here, it's ugly in Brazil, it's ugly in China. Tomorrow out in the world, you will rub shoulders with love-starved humanity. I remember a little girl named Leticia in Brazil, whose mom sent her uh, to our church out of this slum, that our church was right on the edge of this slum, sent her every, every morning to church just to eat breakfast. And little Leticia came very well dressed in scraggly clothes, kind of without her teeth most of the time, just to eat breakfast. And without mother, without father. Our hearts broke over this to see the life of someone unloved. There's a little boy I can picture tonight very clearly in China. Season is his name. His parents are actually millionaires. Intelligent people, but seemingly incapable of showing love. The family driver takes him to school every day and picks him up in the same. Uh, unloved, for this boy looks like hair uncombed every day at school, eyes red from late nights, I don't know if on video games or what he's doing, uh, luxury brand, brand clothing unmatched, <laughs> disheveled, uh, a, a, whole, a whole life basically disheveled before his eyes. He says that his maid forgot to wash his uniform. Uh, at least two or three times a week his mom forgets his snack. Uh, his, uh, and so Patty has to send a note home and tell the mom that he needs to bring some money to buy a snack at school. He's like you know, sharing with his friends or actually getting the snack from his friends. Uh, the story is the same and with all the parents of unloved children, always busy, traveling for work. Uh, he's so intelligent, this kid, so much potential, but starving for love. In the first part of the year, Patty has to deal with the same common behavior problems, but after showing him a little love, he does just fine in class, his grade starts changing, he starts being, learning to write and read and all these types of things. His classmates, the principal of the school, is, thinks Patty's a miracle worker. The parents are amazed at what she, what she did, but really it's just the power of love. It's not long to hear that he comes to school every day and runs. The first thing he does is embrace Patty. Like no other he's embraced before, he feels loved. Patty's heart melts, her eyes swells up with tears every night as she talks about it, and, and I get a little teared up as well just listening to the story of this unloved child. Nothing so ghastly and so unnatural, so unbecoming as the plight of an empty, unloved human being who's actually crying out for care and for love. We weren't created to be unloved. We were created to, be, to feel the fullness of love and to lavish this fullness on others. But this kind of love only comes from our Creator God. For God is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus showed up on the earth, we read that He also saw the love star of humanity, the multitudes without a shepherd and, and tangled up in their sin without love and care. And what did He do? He wept. He wept uncontrollably. Jesus wept at the sight of the unloved. In the, in the incarnation, Jesus comes to rescue us in our sin, induce emptiness, and lavish on us richly his love. And he loved his own that were in the world, and he loved them even unto the end. He prays in John 17 that that same love that the Father had for him would be in them and abound in them in us. In verse 26, he says, I have made known to them your name, God, and I will continue to make it known that the love 
with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God answered Jesus' prayer in Paul's life. That's why Paul could say that it was the love of Christ that constrains us. What about you, my friend, tonight? Have you seen Jesus' prayer answered in your heart, in your own heart yet, in your relationship to your understanding, your understanding of God's love for you? Jesus is trying to see, trying to show his disciples this kind of love. And he's asking them, do you understand what I'm doing to you? Do you understand this? Do you understand God's love? Are you crying out to God each day of your life and your devotions, asking him to reveal his love to you in a greater way? The concept of God's love is, 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 is so difficult for us as humans to grasp. I'm learning about this every day. I'm still uh, grasping to understand the height and depth of God's love. The greatest of these is love. It's a, it's a very important concept to understand. It's one of the most primary concepts to understand about God. God is love. And it's the greatest of these uh, that we understand is, is love. And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. You know this verse well, but listen to it again tonight. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, even the strength to comprehend, to be able to understand with all the saints, together as the body of Christ, what is the breadth. And we could just talk about this probably for hours tonight. The breadth of the love of God. We could talk about the length of the love of God. We could talk about the height and the depth. And to know, and this word to know is epigonosco. It's the, to have the deep knowledge, the personal knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and Paul equates this knowledge of love with the fullness of God go loved someone that's going tomorrow morning loved by God goes full goes in the fullness of God that's full <laughs> that's rich that's very wealthy in Christ. Having loved his own, he loved them even to the uttermost with total fullness of love. Please, if you call yourself a Christian, go out tomorrow morning, but as a child of the King, go loved. Go loved. Secondly, go low. Verse 2. During supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. I love it. He rose from supper knowing that it was time. He laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Brothers and sisters and friends tonight, the normal human reaction for the low blow, the low blow of betrayal of a dearest friend, the normal reaction for this kind of low blow of the betrayal of Judas would be outrage, revenge, anger. But not Jesus. Jesus goes low and washes this man's feet. 
In the Jewish tradition, as probably many of you know, there was a wash basin at the door of every home. The house slave would be required to wash each guest's feet. And as they enter the Paschal meal, where Jesus himself is actually the the, 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 the lamb or the, me, the, the center uh, uh, of, the, of the meal where he will become the sacrifice. Uh, instead of the, one of the disciples volunteering, because there's no slave there in this room, instead of one of the disciples volunteering to do the dirty work, uh, uh, because no slave was present, Jesus actually takes up the task himself. And according to the parallel passage that we read this in Luke, Luke 24, they're all plopped down around the table fighting about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. It's kind of a funny scene. To make matters worse, nobody thought about cleaning the dirty feet before the meal. I mean, you're walking out in the, out in the sands, the streets. I mean, there's um, open sewers. If you've ever been to a third world country, you, you, you really want to take your feet off, your shoes off. And you probably want to wash your feet uh, before you even go to dinner. You're sitting on the floor and you know, you're know you looking at, I'm like, imagine eating and they're looking over at your, the guy's feet all dirty. And it's just like, this is disgusting. I would have an issue with it. But no one thinks about that because they're so consumed with themselves. Jesus is going to die. He's 24 hours and he's going to the cross. And all they can think about is who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. After all this time of being with Jesus, they, they, just, they still don't get it. And from their actions, they still don't understand God's love. What about tomorrow morning at the breakfast table before you go out? <laughs> What's it going to be like around the family table? Who is first? Who is the greatest? Jesus goes low. Jesus is about to teach one of the most significant lessons he's ever taught. One that will inspire great works of art throughout history, even to this day. In the face of that betrayal, Jesus gets up from supper, as we know, from his place at the head of the table. He's at, actually the master, he's the Lord, he's the teacher. You could go on and on about the, the significance of where he was sitting, of why he took off his robe, his, 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 his clothing, it's a significance, it's showing his authority, he took off his, his authority as a teacher, and he becomes a slave, takes his towel, and he lays aside his power and glory, lowers himself as a slave to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus had previously taught them if, in Mark 9.35, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and a servant of all. Jesus had taught them in Luke 9.48, the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Jesus has recently taught them in Luke 14.11, everyone who exalts himself will be humble, humble and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This time though, Jesus doesn't teach it, he shows it. Jesus shows them how to go low through this humble act. Paul makes this application in the Incarnation as well in Philippians 2, verses 1-11. through We know this passage well, but listen as you see this as a parallel passage to the, the, the Jesus' Incarnation, or Jesus' humbling, his self-humbling, as he takes off his cloak and washes the disciples' feet. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, <laughs> if you go loved, you, go, you will go low. <laughs> Any comfort of love, there's any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. 
having in full accord, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count in equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We know that God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see this connection with Jesus' humiliation and, and, and washing disciples' feet of going low. Tomorrow morning at work as you rub shoulders with these unloved people, <laughs> the people in the world, or even other, maybe work with other believers. You're tempted to react. You're tempted to respond. You're tempted to react to their comments or their, their, their snide comments or their, their joking or whatever it is. We, we are easily offended as human beings. Uh, it, it's hard to even walk outside without uh, being offended by something someone says. How will you react tomorrow morning? Will you go loved? Will you be so loved that it will be so easy for you to go low? And thirdly, go clean. <laughs> Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. We read this earlier. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are now clean, but you're not every one of you. Speaking of Judas. So what is Jesus saying here to Peter? Peter doesn't quite get it yet. Jesus is trying to explain this to him. He's trying to explain the significance of this to, to Peter. And this is really important for us to get. What did he mean here in verse 8? If you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. But when a person believes in Jesus, he is completely cleansed. <laughs> he is clean before God, justified in Christ, as if he would never, had never sinned. Jesus said in verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. The repeated washing of the feet represents our daily confession of sin and turning to Jesus for ongoing application of what he accomplished at the cross. Our cleansing and forgiveness. This is exactly what John, 1 John 8, 1, 8 and 9 says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. If we confess our sins, what does he say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a picture of Peter's mistake here. Peter was quick to speak, slow to think. Peter's mistake is what he failed to realize was that even though he was completely clean, we see this in verse 10, that is, even though he was justified and, and, and new in Christ, there were sins that needed daily confession and, and, and forgiveness in Peter's life. A daily spiritual foot washing. The once for all purchase of his forgiveness needs daily application. We go clean by saying to Jesus, Jesus, please, wash my feet. Cleanse me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Renew my heart today in your word. Renew my heart according to thy word. Show me, Lord, what it is I need to, to do. One commentator says if, if we keep on saying we don't need that or don't want that, then we show that we have not been saved, that we have not been completely cleansed. 
Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven, that is, let Jesus wash your feet, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Really, Peter, you really are complete. You're clean, Peter. But the mark of completely clean disciples is that they hate their daily shortcomings and come to Christ for daily cleansing or daily foot washing. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is teaching his disciples they need to go, they need to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. But go clean or go home. <laughs> Go clean or go home. Thirdly and lastly, go happy. <laughs> Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, <laughs> I could just see him, I mean, I could see their faces, I'm sure it was like this really quiet, you could hear a pen drop setting. Um, maybe they weren't fighting anymore. Maybe they were all like really humbled at this moment. Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? I was like, like I'm just trying to imagine this. Like, what, what's going on in there? Do you guys understand what, ha- what just happened to you? Do you really understand? Do you get it? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, if you understand these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you understand what Jesus has done to you? Several times, Jesus is asking them about their understanding. And usually when someone has to ask you, do you understand? Uh, they, they don't know, what, normally they don't know what they're talking about. Normally, normally. But, but, but Jesus isn't doing this here. God uh, isn't asking them if they understand because he thinks he hasn't been clear. Because when God asks us if we understand something, he's trying to alert us that what he is saying is of utmost importance to our happiness. <laughs> It's information that's probably going to show up on the test. He's concerned about it. He's concerned for our joy. And he says here to his disciples, think about this. Think about what I have done. Think about everything that I have said. If you know these things, blessed are you. Happy are you. Blessedness means seeking after nothing, content, satisfied, That's blessed. Happy are you. Content 